Volume two, chapter nineteen of the day will come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter nineteen. A malady preys on my heart that medicine cannot reach, invisible and cureless. Mrs. Porter's evanishment created considerable talk in the little village of Cheriton, and would doubtless have been the occasion of still greater wonder but for the impenetrable stupidity of the young maid servant, from whom no detailed account of her mistress's departure could be extorted. Had the girl, Phoebe, been observant and loquacious, she might have stimulated public curiosity by a lively narrative of events, setting forth Theodore Dalbrook's emotion at finding the lodge deserted, and how he had sent up to the house for his lordship and how his lordship and mr dalbrook had remained in earnest conversation for nearly an hour in the lodge parlour and how mrs porter had left a mahogany box upon the table a flat mahogany box with brass corners which phoebe had never seen before and how this very box had disappeared mysteriously when the two gentlemen left all this would have afforded mental pabulum for the acuter wits of the village and would have formed the nucleus of an interesting scandal to be uttered with bated breath over the humble tea-tray and to give zest to the unassuming muffin in the back parlors of small rustic shopkeepers as it was thanks to phoebe's admirable stolidity all that was known of mrs porter's departure was that she had gone to london by the early train on a certain morning and that her luggage had been sent after her address unknown it was the general opinion that mrs porter had had money left her and that she had reassumed her position in life as a genteel personage this afforded some scope for speculative gossip but not for a wide range of conjecture and in less than a month after mrs porter's departure the only talk in relation to the west lodge was the talk of who would succeed the vanished lady as its occupant this thrilling question was promptly settled by the removal of the head gardener and his wife from their very commonplace abode in the village to the old english cottage cheriton was furnished with a more interesting topic of discourse before the end of october when it was given out that lord and lady cheriton were going to winter abroad an announcement which struck consternation to a village in which the great house was the centre of light and leading and the chief consumer of butcher's meat farm produce over and above the supply from the home farm and expensive groceries not to mention hardware kitchen crockery coals saddlery forage and odds and ends of all kinds to shut up Cheriton Chase for six months was to paralyze trade in Cheriton. To draw down the blinds and close the shutters of the great house was to spread a gloom over the best society in the neighborhood, and to curtail the weekly offertory by about one-third. Everybody admitted, however, that his lordship had been looking ill of late. He had aged suddenly, as those fine, well-set-up men are apt to do, said Mr. Dolby the doctor. He looked careworn and haggard, the village solicitor hoped that he had not been dabbling with foreign loans or had invested blindly in the fortune of an impossible canal yet opined that nothing but the stock exchange could make such a sudden change for the worse in any man mr dolby declared that lord cheriton's lungs were as sound as a bell and that if he were ordered abroad it was not on account of his chest everybody pitied her ladyship and talked of her as despondingly as if it had been proposed to take her to botany bay in the days of transportation for felony it was so cruel to separate her from her flower-gardens her hot-houses her poultry-yard and her daughter for all which things a correct british matron was supposed to exist to take her from these placid domestic pleasures from these strictly ladylike interests and to plunge her in a hotbed of vice such as monte carlo as pictured by the rustic mind would be a kind of moral murder cheriton recovered its equanimity somewhat upon hearing that his lordship was going to winter at mustapha superieure 
but it was opined that even there baccarat and parisian morals would be in the ascendant and a photograph of a square in algiers which looked like a bit broken off the rue de rivoli was by no means reassuring yet whatever dr dolby might say as to the soundness of his lungs there remained the fact that his lordship had altered for the worse since the shooting season began he who used to go out daily with the guns had this year not gone with them half a dozen times in the whole season he whose active habits and personal superintendence of his estate had been the admiration of his neighbours had taken to staying at home dreaming over horace or juvenal in the library yes lord cheriton was a broken man from the hour in which his daughter had laid her head upon his breast and sobbed out fond words of compassion and forgiveness for the weakness and the sin that had brought about her one great sorrow from that hour james dalbrook's zest of life dwindled and the things that he had cared for pleased him no more his heart sickened as he rode his cob by the familiar lanes and surveyed wide-spreading cornfield and undulating pasture sickened at the thought of that wretched creature whose dream he had darkened whose long-cherished hope he had ruthlessly disappointed the image of evelyn darcy eating out her heart in the dull monotony of a private madhouse came between him and that sunlit prospect haunted and tortured him wherever he turned his eye he had to give up the quiet morning rides which had once been the most restful portion of the day his thinking hours his time for leisurely discursive meditations for indulgence in happy thoughts and humorous reverie his wife saw the change in him knowing nothing of the cause and urged him to take advice he gratified her by seeing sir william jenner confessed to being fagged and out of spirits and obtained just the advice he wanted complete change of scene a winter in egypt or algiers we'll try algiers first and if we don't like it we can try the nile he said and his wife who would have gone to vancouver island or patagonia just as cheerfully forthwith ordered her trunks to be packed and began to take leave of her grandson an operation which would require weeks they left england in the middle of november just when the last leaves were being stripped from the oaks and beeches by the blustering southwest wind which is a specialty in that part of the country where it comes salt with the bitter breath of the sea and sometimes thick and grey with sea-fog mrs porter had been nearly three months at cheshunt grange and theodore had been three times to see her in that carefully chosen retreat and on two of those visits had met her daughter mercy who went to her twice a week he had found dr mainwaring's patient strangely calm and tractable professing herself contented with her life and having established her reputation among the other patients as a lady of blameless character and reserved manners i sometimes wonder how they would feel if they knew what i did that night she said to theodore once with a sinister smile they think me a commonplace person they call my complaint nervous debility nobody here would believe me if i were to tell them that i murdered a man who never offended me by so much as an uncivil word they don't believe that such a deed as that would be possible in our day and in our country they think it was only a couple of centuries ago in southern europe that women knew the meaning of revenge this was the solitary occasion on which she spoke of her crime on the other visits he found her apathetic although she was elaborately polite it was evident that she did not recognize him she had however recognized her daughter and now received her with some faint show of tenderness but not without a touch of fretful impatience it was evident that mercy's presence gave her no pleasure i go to see her as often as dr mainwaring allows me mercy told theodore as they walked to the station together it is all i can do and it is very little have you thought any more of lord cheriton's earnest desire to improve your position 
have you learnt to take pity upon him to think more kindly of him on account of all he has suffered i am very sorry for him but i can never accept any favour at his hands i can never forget what my mother's life has been like and who made her what she is and is your own life to be always the same a monotony of toil i am used to such a life but i have some thought of a change in my employment i had a long talk with your friend mr ramsay last night at miss newton's and through his help i hope to learn to be a sick nurse i should be of more use to my fellow-creatures in that capacity than in stitching at fine needlework for rich people's children it would be a hard life mercy i am content to live a hard life i had my span of a soft life a life of idleness on a summer sea amidst the loveliest spots upon earth a life that would have been like a glimpse of heaven itself if it had not been for the consciousness of sin and disgrace do you think i forget those days on the mediterranean or forget that i have to atone for them the man i loved is dead all that belonged to that life has vanished like a dream they parted at the railway station she to go to her place in a dusty third-class carriage he to a smoking carriage to smoke the meditative pipe and think sadly of those two blighted lives which had been ground beneath the wheels of lord cheriton's triumphal car cheriton chase was deserted the blinds down the servants on board wages the flower-beds empty and raked over for the winter but at millbrook priory all was life and movement the sisters and their husbands were again established in their favourite rooms lady jane was again at hand to assist her daughter-in-law to bear the burden of a family party and all was much as it had been in the previous winter except that juanita had a new interest in life and was able to take pleasure in many things that had been an oppression to her spirits last year most of all were her feelings altered towards mrs granville and her nursery she was now warmly interested in the history of johnny's measles and deeply sympathetic about that constitutional tendency towards swollen tonsils which was dear little lucy's weak point for must not her godfrey inevitably face the ordeal of measles and might not his tonsils show a like weakness at the growing age all those discussions about nursery dinners the children who fed well and the children who fed badly those who liked milk puddings and those who could not be induced to touch them the advisability of a basin of cornflour or bread and milk at bedtime the murderous influence of buns and pastry and the lurking dangers of innocent seeming jam all these things to hear of which last year bored her almost to exasperation were now vital and spirit-moving questions the little visitors nurseries were near the infant sir godfrey's rooms and it was a delight to find the baby taking pleasure in his youthful cousin's society and revelling in their noise his own young lungs revealed their power and scope as they had never done before and led the infant orchestra juanita spent hours in this noisy society sitting on the floor to be crawled over by her son who was just beginning to discover the possibility of independent locomotion and to have her hair pulled affectionately by the younger grenvilles who found her the most accommodating playfellow she insisted that the children should dine at the family luncheon-table much to the gratification of their mother and grandmother and to the exasperation of mrs morningside who having left her own children with their conscientious governess and nurses in the north of england did not see why her midday meal should be made intolerable by the boisterous egotism of her nephews and nieces this was the condition of things at christmas when theodore reappeared at the priory having come to dorchester for his holidays after three months earnest work he had been reading with a man of some distinction at the chancery bar and he had been writing for one of the law journals he was struck by the change in his cousin she looked younger brighter and happier than she had ever looked since her husband's death 
no one could accuse her of having forgotten him of having grown indifferent to his memory for at the least allusion which recalled his image her expression clouded and her eyes grew sad but there could be no doubt that the dawn of a happier existence was beginning to disperse the darkness of her night of grief the influence of her child had done much the solution of the mystery of her husband's death had done more to relieve her mind of its burden she was no longer tortured by wonder her thoughts were no longer forced to travel perpetually along the same groove she knew the worst and pity for her father prompted her to try to forget the wretch who had blighted her young life she received theodore with all her old kindness with that easy cordiality which was of all indications the most hopeless for the man who loved her she took him to the nurseries where christmas fires blazed merrily and christmas gifts strewed the carpet a plethora of toys a litter of foil paper and gold and silver fringe and tissue paper cocked hats and pierrot caps from the wreck of cracker bonbons the children were masters of the situation in this christmas week it is their season said juanita tenderly i don't think we can ever do too much to make our children happy at this time remembering that he who made the season sacred was once a little child she took her baby up in her arms as she spoke and pressed the little face lovingly against her own why does mr ramsay never come to see me she asked with a sudden lightness of tone he used to be so fond of baby he is working hard at the hospital and he is not to have any holiday with you i fear not her manner in making the inquiry light as it was told him so much and he noticed how she bent her face over the child's flaxen head as she talked of ramsay why does he work so hard she asked after a silence he has never given me any reason yet i have my own idea about his motive and what is your idea have you ever heard of a man trying to live down a hopeless attachment trying to medicine a mind diseased with the strong physic of intellectual labour that is my case juanita and i am inclined to think that it may be ramsay's case too he has altered curiously within the last few months i cannot get so near his inner self as i used to get but i know him well enough to form a shrewd opinion i am sorry for you both she said with a little nervous laugh still hiding her face against the baby's incipient curls and wrinkled pink skin i am sorry you should be so sentimental sentimental nita is it sentimental to cherish one love for the best part of a lifetime knowing that love to be hopeless all the time if that is your idea of sentimentality i confess myself sentimental i have loved you ever since i knew the meaning of the word love and i have gone on loving you in spite of every discouragement i loved you when your love was given to another yes i stood aside and harboured not one malevolent thought against the man you had so blessed and honoured i have loved you in your sorrow as i loved you years ago in your light-hearted girlhood i shall love you till i am dust but i know that my love is hopeless your very kindness in its level uniformity of sweetness has told me that dear theodore if you knew how i value you how i admire and respect you i think you would be content to accept my sisterly regard she said looking up at him with tearful eyes perhaps had we met differently as strangers i might have felt differently but from my earliest remembrance you have been to me as a friend and brother i cannot teach myself any other love ah nita that other love comes untaught you want no teaching to love cuthbert ramsay don't be angry i can't help speaking of that which has been in my mind so long i saw my doom in your face when cuthbert was here 
i saw that he could interest you as i had never interested you i saw that he brought fresh thoughts and fancies into your life i saw that he could conquer where i was beaten you have no right to say that i have the right that goes with conviction juanita and with disinterested love i have the right of my loyal friendship for the man who has shown himself loyal to me unless you or i make some sign to prevent him cuthbert ramsay will have made himself an exile from this country before the new year is a month old what do you mean theodore i mean that he is in treaty with the leader of a scientific expedition to the antarctic ocean the ships will be away three years and if he join that expedition as doctor he will be absent for that time with the usual hazard of being absent for ever why is he going he has never given me any reason but i suspect that the reason is you theodore if i read his secret right he left this place deeply in love with you he knew i loved you and that was one reason for a man of his generous temper to withdraw you are rich and he is poor that makes another reason he is too honourable to come between his friend and his friend's love he is too proud to offer himself with only his talents and his unfulfilled ambition to a woman of fortune so he takes his old mistress science for his comforter and is going to the other side of the world to watch the planets in the polar skies and to keep the crew free of fever and scurvy if he can three years faltered juanita it would not be so very long anywhere else but those polar expeditions so often end in deaths shall i tell him not to go pray do i'm afraid i shall hardly prevail with him unless unless what unless you will let me say that you wish him to stay she blushed deepest crimson and again had resource to the baby's pink little head as a hiding-place for her confusion tell him anything you like ask him to come and romp with the children next easter he is fond of children and i'm sure he would like my nephews and nieces ah theodore she cried holding out her hand now you are indeed my brother forget that you ever wished to be more and let me hear of your having found a new love by and by by and by is easily said juanita what would that by and by have revealed could the curtain of the future have been lifted that christmas eve as the children danced in the shadowy room while their elders sat beside the fire in the winter dusk a coffin brought by land and sea and laid with stately ceremonial in the cemetery at dorchester a respectful obituary notice of lord cheriton with a laudatory biography setting forth his remarkable gifts and his honourable career much wonderment among his lordship's friends at the premature termination of that prosperous life a man of sixty who had looked ten years younger and whose vigorous constitution and grand bearing had denoted one of the semi-immortals a brougham a lyndhurst or a st leonard's what else a lovely matron proud of her handsome scotch husband and his scientific successes reigning over one of the most delightful houses in london a house in which the brightest lights of the intellectual world are to be found shining in a congenial atmosphere sir godfrey carmichael's widow now cuthbert ramsay's wife and one of the leaders in all movements that tend towards the welfare and enlightenment of mankind what else a rising barrister living quietly in a secluded old house at chiswick with a sweet serious-looking wife and two lovely babies supremely contented with his lot and with his home which is managed for him with that perfection of art which conceals art his wife and he are exactly of the same age have the same deep love of good books good pictures and good music and the same indifference to frivolous pleasures and fashionable amusements 
they have a few friends carefully chosen and of choicest quality and amongst the most honoured of these is sarah newton still brisk and active though her abundant hair is snow-white and there are the deep lines of age about her shrewd and kindly eyes they have their garden with its old cedars and old walls shutting off the world of gig and villa respectively they have their boat-house and boats in which they live for the most part on summer evenings and they have hardly anything left to wish for except a lock and weir the barrister is theodore dalbrook and his wife's name is mercy he found her four years ago established as nurse at cheshunt grange administering to her mother till the day of her death which happened by a strange fatality within a few hours of that other death in algiers a sudden death by cerebral apoplexy swift as a thunderclap he found her there and saw her frequently in his duty visits to the asylum visits paid in performance of a promise to his unhappy kinsman and little by little that sympathy which he had felt for her in the first hour of their acquaintance warmed and ripened into love and in mercy the woman who had sinned and paid the bitter penalty of sin he found the consoling angel of his disappointed youth the world knows nothing of her story that dead past is buried deeper than ever ship went down into the treacherous waters of the tideless sea to mercy herself in her plenitude of domestic bliss it seems as if it was another woman who shed those bitter tears and drank that cup of shame the world knows only that theodore dalbrook has a lovely and devoted wife who thoroughly understands and realizes the duties of her position lord cheriton's will executed three months before his death at mustapha superieure bequeathed a life interest in the sum of twenty thousand pounds consuls to sarah newton spinster the principal to go to mercy darcy otherwise mercy porter upon that lady's death End of chapter nineteen End of the Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon Recorded by Celine Major